Now, transition with me, if you will, to the chapter laying in front of you in Exodus chapter 31. Because as we, as we think about the Great Commission work that God has called us to here and now, there is a work that God had called his people to there and then that we find in Exodus chapter 31. And, and if I can, let me catch us up kind of on the whirlwind of a study we've been on over the last few weeks. The last six chapters leading up to Exodus 31 have been jam-packed full of extremely detailed instruction. Uh, uh, God had called Moses up to the mountain and God began to unpack for Moses a specific uh, direction around the law. And, And then God began to unpack for Moses specific direction around this tabernacle. Uh, how it was to be built and what its purpose would be for. Last week, we looked at God giving a specific instruction for the priestly garments and all that was to go into that. And so over the last few chapters in the book of Exodus, um, we, we know very clearly what is to be made by the people. We actually know very clearly how it is to be made because God gives specific instructions. We also know where the materials are going to come from for all of this construction, but chapter 31 today answers the question, who in the world can actually build what God has described here? And chapter 31 gives us that answer. Now, I'm so excited for this chapter, and I'll tell you why. I think we can read things like this, and at first pass go, okay, that's super interesting, I'm glad to know the detail God gives and the direction he gives of who's going to build a tabernacle, how he'll call people and empower people for that work. But but I think sometimes we just read this as informative. And we'd never make the jump to the transformative principles God has here. Because God is going to call some very specific people there and then to a very specific work. But, But listen to me now. God has called us as his people to some, some specific works for us here and now. And so what are the principles we're going to find in this chapter that actually empower us for those specific calls and works God has called us to as his people here today? And that's what we're going to find in this chapter. And so let me tell you how the, today's going to work. I'm going to camp out in the first paragraph of Exodus 31. I mean, we have been flying through chapters over the last few weeks. Uh, We're going to camp out in one paragraph primarily, and I really want to look at how God empowers his people for the work he's called them to. The second paragraph of chapter 31 then is all about Sabbath rest. God's going to bring up this idea of Sabbath again. And it's really neat how these two things are so connected in this chapter. But I'm actually going to give that paragraph to you for some homework leaving here today. And we'll get to that when we get there. But the big idea for today is simply this. God gifts, to us, God gifts us to do his work and gives us rest from that work. These are the two parts you clearly see in this chapter. The first paragraph, God gifts us to do his work. And then the second paragraph, which you'll do some self-study on, and God gives us rest from that work. So let me pray. Let's ask for God's help, and let's see what he has to say to us today. Father, we need you. Every hour we need you. Every day we need you. 
But as we gather with your word open in front of us, we just recognize, Lord, that apart from your spirit, the work of your spirit, opening our eyes to see, giving us ears to hear, helping us spiritually discern the things we find in your word, Lord. This will just fall on deaf ears, and Lord, we don't want that. We're here for you, Lord. We want to be taught by you, Lord. We want your word to speak powerfully to our hearts, Lord. Do a work in us today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just give you the first point here right off the bat. It's this. God's spirit empowers God's people to do God's work. All in agreement of that, say amen. God's spirit empowers God's people to do God's work. Now, where am I getting this? Let's look in our Bible. Exodus 31, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan, and I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and, all, and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And so this paragraph ends with a list of all of the things we have seen in the previous weeks that God had described to make up the tabernacle and to make up the priestly garments. And now the Lord says, as Moses is about to descend back down the hill, I have made clear to you what to build. I've made clear to you how to build it. Now I'm going to make clear to you who is to do this work. Now, I, I want to unpack this point of our sermon in this paragraph by looking at the four times God says in this paragraph, I have. Four times these words are repeated. I have. God saying, I have. God saying, I have. God saying, I have. Because I want us to understand as we're talking about the work of the Lord today, God is ultimately always the one who's doing that work. He just invites us into the process. God could have, think about this, God could have described this tabernacle and literally supernaturally dropped it out of heaven and put it right there in the center of his people, but that's not what he does. Instead, God supernaturally empowers his people to do this work. And so let's look at these Four times we see this phrase repeated, I have. Look, look back in your Bibles at verse 2. He starts by saying, see, 
I have, and what's the word? I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. There is a specific call God makes on a specific man's life to lead the charge of this construction effort of the tabernacle and of the priestly garments. Now, this is so important for us to understand. The Lord didn't give the instructions for the building and then say to Moses, hey Moses, and whoever you think fits the bill best, have him do it. He didn't leave it up to Moses to go back and call a meeting of all the tradesmen in the camp and say, you know, let's open an interview process to see who might do this best. God makes the decision and God specifically calls someone to this specific work. Now, those whom God calls to his work, God also empowers for that work. And you see that in verse 3. Verse 3 says, and I have, what's your Bible say? And I have, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Those whom God calls, God empowers for what he's called them to. Now, let me just, let me just call something out here. Who, who has heard the phrase, or finish this phrase for me? God will never give you more than you can hogwash. How many of you are with me on this? Weekly, we encounter circumstances that are beyond what we can handle. So I'm for that statement so long as if what we mean is God will never give us more than we can handle by the power of his spirit. Because left to our own strength, left to our own wisdom, we, like, we can't do this. Imagine Moses descending the mountain, going up to Bezalel and said, hey man, here's all the things that God has described we're going to be building. And he's like, guess who God picked to lead the charge? What an overwhelming task, if not empowered by the Spirit of God in order to carry this out. Now, I want you to look back at this verse because I think it's really important that we understand what we find is a list of things there. Verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And what do you find right after it says Spirit of God? And what? Okay, before wisdom. What do you find even before wisdom? Ability. What do you find even before ability? Good. What do you find even before with? A comma. You find a comma. Now, this, I, this is really important for me studying this week for some reason. I, I, we need to understand, is what God is ultimately giving here, his spirit, ability, intelligence, knowledge, and all craftsmanship, that, that the spirit that he's giving Bezalel is just one thing in the midst of equally important things? Or is it that God is giving his spirit that is actually enabling the rest of the things, the ability, the intelligence, the knowledge, and the craftsmanship. And I actually think it's really important for us to understand that it seems the best we can tell based on the Hebrew text is that what God is ultimately giving here is his spirit, which is empowering these other things to unfold. 
Now, now uh, Douglas Stewart, who's way smarter and way better with Hebrew and, and way wiser around the book of Exodus, he says it like this. The clearest translation of the Hebrew might be, I have filled him with God's spirit in regard to wisdom and insight and knowledge and in every sort of work. And, and then these are Stewart's words going on. In other words, the way the filling of the Spirit of God affected Bezalel was to enable him to be wiser, more insightful, more knowledgeable, and more capable of any sort of work to which God assigned him. Thank God for the empowerment of the Spirit. And so, Bezalel is called to this task. Bezalel is empowered for the task. But God is so good, he doesn't leave Bezalel alone in the task. Look at what we saw in verse 6. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan. God appoints a partner to the work. And this is really, I think this is a really important principle of Scripture. We see again and again throughout the Bible, when God calls someone, a follower of him, to his work, he often gives them a partner for that work. How did Jesus send out his disciples? Two by two. When you think about the ministry of Paul, you often think Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy. There's always this nature of partnership in the work of God. And, 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 and later on in the sermon, I want to get to how that, I think, deeply applies to the work God calls to us. But Bezalel is going to lead in this work called by God on his life. But Bezalel is going to have a partner, a holiab, in this work. But, but, but the weight of the work doesn't only fall on just their two shoulders. Look at else what God says in this last I have statement in this paragraph. Later on in verse 6, he says, And I have given to all able men, what? Who gave them that ability? So when we speak of God-given ability, that's not just a throwaway sentence. Like, God is at work here to empower Bezalel for the work, to empower Aholiab for the work, and now he's going to say, and I'm going to give all able men ability for this work that I have called you to do. There's a community reality to the work of God. There's a shouldering of God's work within the blessing of community where truly they find many hands make, make light work. And so you see... The, these principles at play here and how God calls and empowers and equips his people there and then for this specific work. But now I want to take these four I have statements and I want to seek to apply them for the specific works God has called us here and now as his people. And, and I want to, I just want to kind of put a word over each of these buckets of the four I have statements. The first word is this calling, calling. 
do we believe that there are specific works God has called us in this room to as his people today? Do we? Calling often like has this mysterious aura about it. I think often as young believers are graduating college, they're like enamored with this idea of calling as they're trying to figure out how do I navigate life and and what what is this calling? God gave a specific call in the life of Bezalel here to a specific work, to a specific task, and God has called us in this room to some things as well. The moment we saw our sin The Spirit opened our eyes to see our sin. We saw that as sinful people, we were separated from a holy God. We saw that we desperately needed a Savior to pay or atone for the penalty of our sin. And the moment our knees hit the ground and we truly believed in Jesus Christ, we were called to Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, there's things we're called to follow him in. We're called to worship him. We're called to walk with him. We're called to use our gifts and abilities to work for him. We're called to witness to those who don't yet know him. There is a calling on our life to follow Jesus. Amen? There's also, for us in the room, some family callings on our life. You're a son. You're a daughter. Do you know the scriptures call you to something in that? To honor of mother and father. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're a husband. You're a wife. The scriptures call us to things in that. And when you read, when you read what the scriptures call us to in that regard, you go, wow. There are some high callings to us in that regard. You have some vocational calls on your life. There are ways God has gifted and wired you that bring him glory when you use those gifts. I remember, and I'm sure I've shared this from the pulpit before, but I remember a conversation. I remember where I was standing. I was standing outside of the dorm I lived in. It's probably 2000 and fall of 2008. My dad, as I've told you many times before, my dad had a trucking company. And if any business owners, you remember 2008, 2009, the economy was just booming, right? Just doing awesome. Uh, I remember just a conversation as, as things were so hard in that season. And I remember his question over the phone. And he said, Brock, how is God glorified by, you know, me driving steel down a highway every day? And I didn't have the answer at the time like I do now. But as I watched the way my dad has worked through the years, how he has used the way God has gifted and wired him, His creator is worshipped by the way steel is hauled down a highway. Your creator is worshipped when you 
get up out of your bed tomorrow and you go and you use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you for the vocational calls that God has called you to in your life. Moms in the room who the vocational call in your life right now is to stay at home and to raise up those babies and to pour into your home. Your creator is honored when you use those gifts and abilities for that purpose. I'm passionate that we understand work calling, vocational calling, and how God is glorified when he's like, yes, I made you to leverage those things. You with me on that? Really, are you? And so there's callings. We are in this room are called by God to some specific works he has given us to do. Now, as we've said, those things in which God has called us to, he empowers us for. So Bezalel was called to this work of construction, but in verse 3 we were told with this phrase, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. God fills him with his Spirit to fulfill the things in which God had called him to do. Let's just take those same three buckets of calling we just looked at. Following Jesus, family, and vocational. How Badly, desperately, are we in need of living dependent on the Spirit of God in order to follow Jesus? How many of us in the room grew up in the church? We were taught all the things. We were taught to do all the things. Read my Bible. Sing, I, could, you know, I could sing a ton of hymns to you because I grew up in church. Singing those, read, sing, be a good kid. How many of you found it so exhausting until you were genuinely redeemed by the blood of Jesus to actually be able to do any of those things? Then, in my story, church kid my whole life, saved at 19, genuinely redeemed at 19, Spirit of God now blowing like wind behind our spiritual growth sailboats, drawing us to those things. We can't follow Jesus apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can work really hard to be good moral people. We can try our best to not, you know, smoke, drink, lie, and cuss, and hang with anyone else that does. I botched that. <laughs> we don't have power. The power switch, you're still laughing about that. The power switch is not on. Think about it in the family calls God's given in your life. So this parenting thing's pretty easy, right? I, Erica and I walked down the steps after last night, literally eyes wide, just shaking our head at one another. Just no words. Like, what is happening? We're folding laundry, praying. Literally, my prayer ended last night like, Lord, we have no clue what we're doing. How do you do this apart from the Spirit of God? Marriage, right? That too, that comes pretty naturally to all of us, doesn't it? Take two like horribly wretched sinners, put them under one roof, and it, it's awesome. 
Open your Bible, husbands, to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Who closes that and goes, I'm crushing that. <laughs> wives, you look at what the scripture calls you to is what it means to be a godly wife. It's the same. You're like, how does this not daily drive us to our knees and say, Holy Spirit, please, I can't, I don't got it. Fill us. I mean, we, we read the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who We read that, and we're like, Lord, I am not equipped with the hard wiring in order to do that. I'm desperately in need of your Spirit if those things are going to be true in our home. So we read the scriptures and we know what we're called to as husbands, wives, and sons, and daughters. But how dependent are we for the Holy Spirit to actually fill us with power in order to do it? But not only in our discipleship work and in our family work, but also in our work work. What would our drive time look like if we're just like, Lord, I, I, I am desperate for your spirit today. I can't do this with the wisdom, ability, and craftsmanship apart from your spirit. Lord, I'm walking into environments that test my faith, and I don't always know what to do. I need your spirit in this work call in my life right now. So those things in which God calls us to, he empowers us for, but, but I don't want us to miss the partnering principle that we saw in this passage. So there's what was the first one I said? There's calling. Thank you. There's empowering and there's partnering. We saw in verse 6 that God gave to Bezalel a Holyab. And together they're going to partner in the leading out this work. Do we see throughout the scriptures? And do you see in the things God has called you to in your life? A need for partnering, a need for partnership, a need to walk two by two. When the scriptures say two are better than one, do we believe that? Our culture loves to champion the Lone Ranger story. I just, I mean, we took the flag and we, I just stormed the hill and I just planted the flag. Scripture doesn't celebrate the Lone Ranger story. We need partnership in the call to follow Jesus. We need people who are out ahead of us in their discipleship journey, pouring their lives into us. And then we need to turn around and look for those who are uh, not as far in their spiritual journey, and we need to pour our life into them. And together in that beauty, there's a partnership that helps us be faithful to this call to follow Jesus. We need to understand in the family callings in our home, this doctrine of partnership. If you're married, look next to you. This is the partner God has called you to do life with. That only applies if you're sitting by your spouse. I, I'm so like, uh, sometimes I think we functionally operate in marriage 
like we're still two independent people who now just live under, kind of with a shared budget and shared living quarters. And y'all, listen, I'm not coming at you. I lived like that. Like so much of the early days of this church plant was Lone Ranger mentality. And Erica would be like, hey, I see some things. I'm like, we'll be all right. Husbands, how does that usually work out? Six months down the road, I'd be like, hey, man, I just saw some things. Erica's like, yeah, six months ago, I kind of saw that one coming. Don't fight the blessing of the partnership God has interwoven into a theology of marriage. Do life together. Uh, In the family callings, brothers and sisters in the room, siblings, you need to partner to know how to help one another to honor the scriptures, to honor your father and mother. You need to come together in partnership on that. How about for our vocational callings? We need to go find men, men, men in the room, go find other men in your workplace running hard and fast after Jesus and lock arms and say, we need to do this together. Women of God in the room, go find the other women of God in your workplace, lock arms with them and say, we need to do this together because two truly are better than one. And so you, you see in this, as God calls them to a specific work, he, he calls them, he empowers them. There's a calling, there's an empowering, there's a partnering. But then again, there's something even wider than just partnership. Calling, empowering, partnering, and then the last bucket I'll say like this, community-ing. There's a community-ing. When you see in the scripture here, that God has given to all able men ability. God has invited this to be a community work. And do you know in the works that God calls us to for his glory, he delights when the community comes together for those works. We need to know how to function like a community helping one another in the specific calls God has given to each of us. So you might have specific calls that differ from other people in here, but it doesn't mean that you're to pursue those specific calls in isolation. You invite the community in, help me. What am I not seeing? I don't have this tool. I don't have this gift. You do. How do we come together on this? We need to know. Can, can, let me just bring us back here in these closing minutes. Let me just bring us back to a theology of what's happening right now. Let me remind us, we are not right now at a weekly event. This is not just an event we attend where we show up, listen to talented singers lead us in some songs, hear just a a message on, uh, you know, preaching the word. We are here as a body and we are here interconnected as a body. We desperately, you don't just need, you do need the songs sung from the stage, and you do need the preaching of the word from the stage, but we also need all that's going to happen of all the one anothering in the lobby. And man, I would just encourage us as a church, this gets so, it happens more organically when we are smaller and in a school, and it gets harder as everything starts to feel like it's growing and more formal. I would encourage us, when you go into the lobby, don't just settle for conversations like, rainy out today. Yep. Good Thanksgiving? Yep. Let's ask one another, 
What's the biggest burden in your life? Uh, geez, man. Uh, let's go there. Let's figure out how do, we, how do we truly do this together? Because we desperately need each other. For those of you in the room, I talked about parenting earlier. For those of you in the room who have parented for decades, we need you big time. For those of you in the room, heroes in the room who have been married for decades, we need you. For those of you in the room who've navigated the marketplace and the workplace for years and, you, and there's things you've seen and you're kind of a lattice looker now looking down, we need you. And then for, the, for, for you that I just described, there's this reality where there's, there's some youthfulness in the room that you need. There's some vibrancy to some generations following you up that you need. This is why, like, in discipleship groups, some of the most beautiful discipleship groups are multi-generational. And I know that can be hard for us at first. You're like, I don't feel, I remember my first small group. I'm rolling now, okay? My first small group back in Crawfordsville, Indiana, I sat down, Erica, I was dating Erica. I sat down in my small group, and I said, Help me with some pitfalls of year one of marriage. Bob Gooding, I love Bob Gooding. I will always, Bob's with the Lord now. I will always appreciate. He goes, oh, when Mary and I got married, man, we didn't even have running water. You know, using an outhouse was tough. Literally, I'm like, that doesn't seem to apply. (laughs) But the wisdom from Bob and Mary Gooding in their 80s to Erica and Brock Graham, 20 and 22-year-old, figuring out how to do marriage was insurmountable. We need one another. Come on, church, amen? We need one another. So paragraph one is all about this work, and I just really wanted to camp out there today. How do we understand specific calls and works God has called us to? How he empowers us for it? How, how we need to look around for the partners he's called us to in it? And how we need to embrace the community in order to do the works he's called us to? Really quickly, and I'm giving you this for homework. Par- paragraph two is all about Sabbath. So don't miss that. God's, gonna, God's, gonna, God's given all this instruction of all the work they have to do. But right after that, he's like, oh, by the way, don't, don't neglect this Sabbath thing. This is a big deal. This is holy unto me. And there's some specific things you find in this paragraph that are really, really exciting to study. And I want to equip you for that study today. So the second point is this. God grants to his people gracious rest from the work. He grants to his people gracious rest from the work. You're going to read about that in the second paragraph of Exodus 31. Do, really do this. Really do this study this week. Take some time. Build it in your quiet time. And spend time here. Because when we're back together next week, I'm picking it up in 32 and we're talking idolatry. Okay, idolatry. Don't skip next week, okay? You're like, oh, idolatry. I'm not showing up for that one. (laughs) Let's go. Let's be here. But let me give you some questions that I hope can spur your homework on the Sabbath paragraph of 31. If you want to snap pictures of these, go ahead. In general, what do you observe from this passage regarding Sabbath? So just big picture. What are things you notice about the way God unpacks Sabbath here? More specifically, question two. The sign of the covenant with Noah was a rainbow, The sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. Now, Sabbath is described as a sign here to Moses. How might this inform our understanding of the importance of Sabbath for God's people here? Third question, how do we look to Christ as our ultimate Sabbath rest? 
So spend some time this week jumping from Exodus 31 into the book of Hebrews. What does Hebrews teach us about Jesus as our ultimate Sabbath rest? Question four, do you see Sabbath as more of a command to either obey or ignore, or as a gift from a gracious God? And then question five, how is Sabbath love from God, love for God, and love toward others? Because big idea today, here it is one more time, God gifts us to do his work and gives us rest from that work. Amen? Redeemer, stand with me. Let me pray, and we're going to worship our way out of here. Father, uh, Lord, a lot said today. Lord, I pray the truth from your word would settle deeply into our heart, Lord. What do you specifically want us walking out of here with today to the specific things you've called us to in our lives? How do you want this to impact the way we think about our call to follow you, our call within family, our call within uh, our vocational reality of our life? Lord, lead us in these things. Equip them for them even this week. We pray and we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name.